Well, most normally we call soldiers of the Christian faith disciples. And that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit today. Christ-like traits of a disciple. So I've been trying to, I've been thinking here recently about what to preach about. And maybe you have noticed I've, I've gone into some subjects that we've already talked about. So trying to focus a little bit on things that I really want to leave you with. In case you're without a pastor for a little bit of time, these are things that I think are important for us to know. So I hope you have your hand out here. This would be good, something to uh, put up on your refrigerator door. I know I'm going to do that. These Christ-like traits of a disciple. And so uh, we are called to make disciples, aren't we? Matthew 28, 19, 20, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. So the very last thing that Jesus spoke to us before he rose into heaven, so it's gotta be important, making disciples. Well, how do we know when we have made a disciple? What does that look like? That's some of the things that we're gonna be talking about today. Some of the things that's necessary for us to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not an exhaustive list. We could go through, obviously, other portions of the New Testament and find other things that would apply, but I have chosen specifically to look at Luke 640 and then also 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. So let's look at Luke 640 for a minute, and we'll not stand today, just uh, to do something a little bit different and just kind of focus on the scripture today as I read it. But I wanted to look at Luke chapter 6 verse 40 just quickly and read that because it gives us some valuable information about a disciple. And it says a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. So the word disciple basically means learner or student. And that's what the 12 disciples were of Jesus, of course. They were people who left their homes in order to follow him so that they could be trained in what he had, what Jesus knew, and so that they could become like him. And that's an essential part of what a disciple is. It's a person who devotes themselves to be trained so that they can become like their teacher. That is our goal as Christians, is to become like Jesus Christ and to tell all the world about him. Then secondly, I wanted to read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So maybe you have turned there, but I'll go ahead and read it for us here today. This is, of course, Peter speaking to Timothy, and we'll talk a little bit more about the background of the book after I read this. But he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And in these seven verses, he gives us many attributes of what a disciple should be like. 
and it's something that we should be interested in. I hope that we are interested in becoming like Jesus Christ and becoming a disciple. Now, I have been a Christian since 1974, I believe. Somebody tell me how many years that is. That is 26, 46, 48 years, about. You would think that I had already accomplished this, right? That I would be perfected in all of these attributes, but I'm not yet. It is an everyday, ongoing learning process for the rest of our life, amen? Can I get an amen for that? Amen. We recognize that we don't reach a plateau and then we finally reach that place and there's no more place for us to grow. So uh, I can say to everyone in this group, there's still room for you to grow in these areas of life. And we should continue to pursue them just as we are commanded to pursue godliness without which no one will see the Lord. And so I think it's important that we look at these again and review these things again. See, Paul has a lot invested here. The reason he's writing to Timothy, of course, especially in 2 Timothy, his life is just about over. This may have been the last book that he had opportunity to write before his death. And so he wants to make sure that what he has learned, what Paul learned from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he wants to make sure that that is passed on to the next generation. We read about this in Jude on, on Wednesday nights, didn't we? There's a verse in Jude that says that we as Christians are to contend for the faith and make sure that it goes on to the next generation. It must be passed on to the next generation. In the United States, it must be passed on to the generation. So it's, it's very healthy, I think, for a church like Freedom Baptist Church to have such a wide range of ages in our church, you know? That, that's a benefit. We have people who are older in the faith. We have people like Draven, who's a, a relatively new Christian. Draven and Talia, we need you in this church. <laughs> we need younger people in our church to give us vitality and, and new ideas of, and ways of doing things. But all of us still need to grow in these five different principles that I've chosen. And that is why Paul is writing this letter and why we should take it seriously because there are things that we must pass down to the next generation. Look at what kind of people Paul is asking Timothy to invest his life in. He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul is talking about four different generations of Christians here. He includes himself as the first generation. He includes Timothy as the second generation. He says that what you have heard from me and trust to faithful men, that's the third generation, who will be able to teach others, that's the fourth generation. Do you see that pattern? This is an essential pattern in the Christian life. And so in an essence, and really, each of us, the church has the greater responsibility to pass this along, but I believe, just like Timothy, we are entrusted with the work of building and making disciples just like Paul was, just like Timothy was. It has passed down to us to do that. And so Paul takes this very seriously. He wants to know when I pass away, I want to make sure that the church continues on and continues to prosper. And it has done so for 2,000 some years, right? 
One disciple making others. Churches making disciples. You notice in this verse that there's a quality of disciples that Paul is talking about. He says specifically, he says, I want you to pass what I have told you on to faithful men. In other words, he wants us to identify people who have all of the qualities of being faithful and invest our lives into them. And this, this kind of sets some people off a little bit because they, they have the idea that everything should be fair and that we should treat everyone the same. But Paul is very clear. He says, you need to invest this teaching and this training into faithful men, people you know who are going to carry it on just like you have been faithful to carry it on. So very important stuff here for us today. So what, what are these characteristics that we are to learn? And you can see them right here on the page. Like I said, great thing to take home, put on your refrigerator. I'm going to do that because I need to grow in this area as well. But first of all, a disciple is faithful. Write down faithful in there. Someone who follows through with their commitments and convictions. We, we admire that quality, right? In our workplace, uh, in our organizations, where people have different responsibilities. We look forward to working with people who have this kind of commitment and follow through with their convictions. And that's exactly the kind of people that Paul wants uh, for us to be as disciples. We must be faithful to Jesus, first and foremost. We must be faithful to Jesus. We must be loyal to him and to his teachings. Jesus himself told the disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We've heard those words before, right? Don't let them just go over without thinking about them. This is not some new teaching. This is the teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So many people, when they get to that verse, they think, that's too much to ask. I just cannot do that. That was one of the things that I objected to when I was confronted with the claims of Christianity, is that I wanted to live my life the way I wanted to live it. I didn't want any interference from God. I wanted to live my life the way I wanted to live it. And many people in our nation, of course, have chosen that way of living themselves, living only for themselves, satisfying only their needs, not thinking of others and specifically not thinking of God, but Jesus demands this. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In other words, to become a Christian, to become a disciple means to follow Jesus and his commandments. We can't cherry pick which ones we want to obey. We must follow him completely. Doesn't mean we are perfect, right? <laughs> We never do this with perfection, but we're always working toward the goal of godliness and purity in our lives. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be, fa be found faithful. A steward is someone, it's a manager, right? That you have left in charge of your assets. 
And Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to leave you as stewards and you must be found faithful. The next generation depends on it. America, I would say, depends upon discipleship. It truly does. This world is not going to, tur not going to turn around on its own. It is not. It's going to continue to go and spiral deeper and deeper and deeper. The only thing that can save us is the Lord Jesus Christ and his plan for discipleship. Now I hope, I hope a great revival breaks out. Amen. And that would be wonderful, right? <coughs> and we pray for that. We pray that for a, a work of the Holy Spirit to come in such a way that many people come to know Christ. But more than likely, it's gonna be through discipleship and our faithfulness to it that is going to make la lasting change. And so Jesus says, if you're gonna enter into this relationship with me, you must be faithful and you must count the cost. He tells people ahead of time, you must count the cost of discipleship. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Do you, did you hear that? <laughs> Unless you bear your own cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, a disciple is not some kind of super Christian, is he? You know, there are people who would say that. Well, there's the everyday Christian who comes to church, and then there are the disciples, and they do the real work. They're the pastors, they're the missionaries. That's not the way the Bible teaches. He teaches that every person must have this attitude. Everyone must bear their own cross and everyone must follow after Jesus or they cannot be his disciple. He says, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? We talked about perseverance many times in here, right? Recently about persevering in the faith. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, if we are going to follow Jesus, then we must consider the cost of what it's going to take to finish all the way to the end of our life. He goes on, he says, otherwise when he has laid a foundation, has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. That's a sad situation, isn't it? When a Christian or someone who professes to be a Christian begins on the path, makes that known publicly and then it's not able to complete that life because their faith was never genuine and disrepute is brought upon the name of Christ. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Are you a fisherman? Yeah. <laughs> In the faith, are you a fisherman? We hope so, right? We, that's, that's what Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. One sign of someone, you ask them if they are following Jesus, but they're not fishers of men, then they're not following Jesus, right? They're not following Jesus. They're following something. They're following some religion they call Christianity where they come in the door and they maybe... Uh, have even made a profession, maybe they're even members of Christ, but if there's no heart for people and their salvation, then their faith may, may not be true. We must be faithful to the gospel message. 
So many times I have preached here on adhering to the basic gospel message, the true gospel message. I think everyone in here knows it, right? Knows what I believe about it. We're obligated to pass that message on. And that's exactly what Paul tells Timothy. We won't go over that again. But he says that he will uh, entrust this only to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Jesus' goal was to come and to seek and to save the lost. And that must be our mission as well. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4 says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. We must hold true to the gospel message, not fall into the habit or not follow into the habit the world has of kind of twisting the gospel into something that is not saving at all. So a disciple is faithful. And we could go on and on and talk about that, but we'll move on to the next one. A disciple is available. Right in there, available. Someone who is available, a person who makes it a top priority to serve, learn, and grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is increasingly hard to do in a very, very busy world, right? Jesus called his disciples and they left everything and they followed him wherever he went, right? They were available. They had to be available. In fact, the, was it the rich young ruler who said he would give everything? Uh, not He wouldn't give everything, but when he was asked to give everything and to come and follow Jesus, he relented from doing that. He could not do that. But we are asked to do the same thing. A, a disciple who's available, a person who makes a top priority to serve, learn, and grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Must be available to follow the ways of Jesus. Listen to Paul in this from a different book. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was so invested in this that he said, my life is over. I make this life that I have completely available to Jesus Christ. And it's a good thing that he did, right? Many of us would not, we would not be here today except for the faithfulness and availability of Paul. Paul was asked by the Lord a tremendous task to do. You remember, James was essentially the apostle to the Jews but Peter, uh, excuse me, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. That was everyone else in the whole world, right? Yeah. Think of that. Think of the task of that, of trying to reach most of the whole world for Christ. And yet P Paul made himself available to do that. I don't think he probably had any idea what it was going to actually take to be able to do that. But actually it took his whole life to do that. He says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. 
if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He said, my life is over. It's of no value to me. It's not precious to me. The only thing that really is precious to me is if I can finish the course that Jesus has given me and the ministry that he has given me to reach the Gentiles for Christ, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, our mission is not exactly the same as Paul, right? Most of us have not been given the task to go to all of Europe and the surrounding area to reach them for Christ. But we should have the same attitude as Paul, right? Wherever he places us and gives us a place to work, if he places us in Freedom Baptist Church, then we should have that attitude that my life is not of value, but I need to live this new life of ministry. I wrote down here a simple statement. A disciple does not have time for Jesus. A disciple makes time for Jesus, right? <laughs> we have to make time because the world will fill in the rest of our life very easily. There's all kinds of things for us to do, all kinds of events, all kinds of entertainment, which it's you know, we need entertainment. We need those times of fellowship. But we also need to make time for Jesus and being available for ministry within the church. If you have the opportunity to be discipled by somebody, then you need to make time available to meet with them and to be discipled by them. Jesus himself made himself available. He said, to his disciples, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus understood that he had to give his life. He came to seek and to save the lost and that is what he was going to do. That was the focus of his life. Paul writes about this selfless attitude in Philippians, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, we need to have this attitude the same way that Jesus had, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We may never go through the exact thing that Jesus went through, but it's clear that our attitude needs to be off of ourself and more onto other people and serving them. And so a disciple must be available. Did I tell you we're, we're working on the word faith? <laughs> I didn't mention that, but I think you probably got that. These, these letters form an acrostic called faith. So we've done faithful so far, we've done available, and next a disciple takes initiative. Someone who takes initiative, one who sees a need, can hear from God and act in a way that is helpful and wise. The one who takes initiative is eager to serve, looking for ways to serve. They don't need to be coaxed into serving. 
doesn't need to be coddled into serving, doesn't need to be bribed into serving, but they willingly, from the heart, are willing to serve. Paul tells us that we're not to grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. The person, the disciple who is, takes initiative is driven by the joy of their salvation and gratitude to God. That's where we want to be at, right? We're not Christians who just follow a list of rules, do's and don'ts, but we're driven by the joy of our salvation and our gratitude to God. That's why we serve. And the fact that we love people. So the disciple takes initiative. They are constrained, however, by wisdom. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Proverbs 19, 2, Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. And the only reason I mention those is that, yes, a disciple takes initiative, but they are constrained by wisdom. There are some people who like to take risks, right? In the Christian life, we are people who take risks sometimes. It's called a step of faith. But we do not go so far as to uh, to act rashly or unwisely. So yes, be, in, be a person of initiative, but also be constrained by wisdom. F, faithful. A, available. I, initiative. T is teachable. A disciple is teachable. A disciple is one who can humbly accept teaching and wisdom from a mature, more mature Christian. The disciple who's teachable will often think this statement, I have something to learn. I don't know everything. They must see the need to be taught and commit to being present whenever the more mature Christian is there to teach them. We looked at this earlier, but Matthew 4.19 says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And finally, Proverbs 9.9, give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The very basic idea of discipleship is that you are a learner, a, a student who is willing to be teachable. And finally, 
we've gone through faith except for the last one h i've seen it many times i've seen humility put in here that would be a good one i chose to put in heart a disciple has a heart for god and people a disciple who has a heart a person who sacrificially serves god and people out of love for God and people. Jesus gives us this basic command, which is taken from the Old Testament and he carries it over to the New Testament. And it says simply, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. We must love God and love each other, amen? John goes so far in his, I think, first John to say that if you hate your brother, then you must hate God as well. You cannot hate people or not love them and love God. This is the very essence, I believe, for which we are saved. We are saved that we might fall in love with God and his people. Paul says that the aim of our charge, in other words, the purpose of everything that we do is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I can't overemphasize, and I've done that many times here, the importance of the motivation of love for what we do. It's not to please me, it's not to please your neighbor, it's not from compulsion, but we must serve out of a heart of love. This is one of the defining points of how you can tell if a person is a Christian, right? Do they love people? Do they love them more than themselves? Jesus, I believe, was quoted in 1 John as saying that no greater love has a man than that he lay down his life for his friends. Amen? That should be our attitude, right? I think that would go a long ways in helping people understand why most of us in here, I would agree, would think oppose abortion, right? And a reason for why we can say, no, I will not do that is because Jesus says there's no greater demonstration of love than that you lay down your life for your friend. And so I would gladly lay down my life for any of my kids or grandkids. And I believe that's what Jesus would have us do as well. But he goes on, Jesus, and he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. That should be a heads up, right? <laughs> Think of the Pharisees and Sadducees who are listening to this, and Nicodemus was listening to this. Not Nicodemus, but the, the Pharisees and Sadducees. But... He's, he's telling them, basically, I'm God, and I'm going to give you a new commandment. That you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. A sacrificial type of love, where we lay down our life for each other. What the local church is all about. It's a group of people loving one another through our difficult times and through our difficult personalities as well. <coughs> P 
Paul had a great love for people. I know sometimes maybe that is overlooked by people because Paul is sometimes kind of viewed as maybe authoritarian, maybe too much of an authoritarian, um, maybe too much of a boss and not a person who loves so greatly. But that, that's really not what the scripture tells us. In Romans 9, Paul says this. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's basically saying there, I wish that I could be cut off from Christ. If that would help them come to know Christ, I'd be willing to do that. Such was the love that he had for the people of Israel. He goes on about a chapter later, and he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Folks, the greatest way that we can love people is tell them about Jesus. Right? In a loving way. Not in a condemning way, not in a judgmental way, but in a loving, bold way so that they understand this is something that we truly believe and are basing our faith upon. And so we take the refrigerator challenge, <laughs> put this on your refrigerator, look at it from time to time, I think we all need this. As I said, there's not a point in our life where we do these 100%, but we are commanded to become more like Jesus, and that's my prayer for us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to look at Scripture today, and it's so great to be able to see Paul and know what's on his mind in the last maybe even weeks of his life as he writes this letter to Timothy that He's not showing concern about himself. He's showing concern about the next generation of people who will hear the gospel message and believe. And he wants them to be fully equipped to carry on the ministry of the church even to the next generations after generation. And so I can't help but believe that this is also written to us as well as Timothy and that we are to understand that we have a, re a responsibility and in fact, a, a great joy to be able to carry this over to the next generation by investing our lives in the lives of people that they might learn from us who Jesus is, how they can be saved, and how they can, they themselves, raise up disciples for Christ. But we need your help. We pray that you will help us that you will help us to remain focused and maybe we can do that by putting this sheet in a place that we can see on a regular basis. Maybe we can do it by memorizing some verses out of our text today that we will, will remind us of uh, what our goals are. But we need help from your Holy Spirit to do this. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to help us, to enable us to be able to live this life for Christ in such a way that you are glorified and you are honored and you are ultimately worshiped. We ask all these things in Christ's name.
Amen. Amen. Amen.